Welcome back to another edition of the Pancast. I'm your host, Michael Pagani, joined alongside a multimedia sports journalist. His work has been featured in, uh, you know, multiple articles such as the Hockey News. Uh, you know, he's done some work for Leafs TV. Stephen Ellis. Stephen, welcome to the Pancast. Thank you again for coming on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. So, you know, with the World Juniors going on, has that brought, you know, at least some normalcy to your life? I would say so. This is what we do every year for Christmas, always following this tournament. It's uh, one of my all-time favorite hockey events, as it is for a lot of Canadians. And it's it's nice to be able to see the the prospects. Like, I, I follow these guys all year long, and this is kind of like the, the – not the reward, but it's like this is like the, the payoff to see really where these prospects are. And it's a lot of fun, and it's nice that – and it's the chance to spend some time with family this year. You didn't know if that was going to be able to happen and be able to do that. It's been really nice. And what were some of the crazy storylines that you have been following throughout this tournament? Cause I know for me, I've been following the storyline of how Canada has only relied on one goaltender, sorry, goaltender uh, throughout this whole tournament. Yeah. Like for, for obviously there's the COVID storyline of whether we're going to get this tournament on or not. And um, seeing kind of how Germany uh, really, this was supposed to be the year where Germany was going to impress everybody. And they didn't get the chance to do that because they were missing a lot of those players. Uh, not, not even with the, the players that did return after they got the, the COVID situation figured out, but just some guys that didn't come in the first place. But for Canada, it's been just like how much skill they brought this year. We usually see Canada to bring a fourth line. That's more of a traditional, I wouldn't say traditional fourth line because you're bringing guys who are really high quality, but they will be more of your energy guys, your grinders. In Canada, they didn't do that. They brought a roster full of talent, full of skill, and they're, they're out skilling their opponents. And um, they just, they, they, they can't let up going forward because this is a team that just got so much talent, but they haven't trailed yet. They haven't had to face that adversity. The big adversity as team Canada seems to keep mentioning is uh, they didn't blow out Slovakia or the Czech Republic. Well, that's not a lot of real adversity in this hockey tournament. So uh, they haven't really faced that yet. So it'll be interesting to see how that occurs for them, I'd say. And I think it's also interesting to your point that they're doing this without Kirby Doc, who I thought was going to be really impressive since he had that one year of NHL experience under his belt. I was probably one of the only people that uh, in like a r- initial roster previews actually said Kirby Doc would probably be there just because I had a feeling Chicago would feel the value in him being there. And they did. Obviously, it didn't work out. He's going to miss what should be likely the entire NHL season, which what a shame uh, for a guy so early in the development that doesn't help. But I think that, you know, Canada had the skill no matter what they could have done. And uh, that gave some other guys an opportunity that really helped Philip Telemacino, that would help Quinton Byfield, help guys like that who were deeper in the lineup, who were used to playing bigger roles, get another shot. So um, it, it was a loss for Canada, but I, I didn't think it was going to change their chances because I don't think Canada maybe expected to get him in the first place. And he was just a bonus if he was there. And again, this is where we are right now with Canada. And that really brought up the conversation of, you know, if NHL teams should uh, let their players go to these tournaments, because as we saw last year, Alexis Lafreniere and Barrett Hayden both got injured. Luckily, they both came back. And now we see Kirby Doc. And really, it's just injuries like happen with the sport. You know what I'm trying to say here? Yeah, it's obviously those injuries can happen anywhere. You If Kirby Doc... Uh, was a, getting to the rink and he tripped over the carpet and fell on his hand. Like he could do the, a very similar injury that he had there. Um, 
And obviously playing in a tournament where it's not for the team that employs you, that definitely will get some extra criticism for that. But I still think Chicago saw this and said, you know, the, the positives are he hasn't played in a long time. He now has a chance to be a leader, potentially the best player in the entire tournament, come back with a gold and enter the season with all this momentum, all this energy and see how it works. And that to me outweighs the negatives. Injuries could happen, but season ending injuries don't typically happen at this tournament. And uh, so it's, it's a totally shame thing that happened for him, but I it, it, again, it could have got hurt first day of camp could have got hurt there. So I can't say that it was specifically because the juniors, it was just an unfortunate incident that happened. Do you find it crazy at all? Just how quickly, you know, these guys got prepared because some of their seasons, you know, some of these guys haven't played since March and, you know, a name that comes to mind is Jamie Drysdale and he hasn't played since March because of the OHL season getting shut down and, you know, that's being delayed. So, you know, he really hasn't had that game action that, you know, we're used to seeing these guys have before the world juniors. It, uh, yeah. Byfield was one where really was kind of pointed out like, yeah, it take, takes a while to get really going, but at the same time, these guys are on the ice still five times a week minimum. They're still having many scrimmages. There were definitely some guys playing games that were maybe a little shouldn't have been on the books type thing and uh, more of a hidden type thing. So th- that's definitely something where, yeah, like they, they were still getting some action. It was just that intense game action where something mattered they hadn't played and but these guys are some of the best players in the world uh look at the nhl we saw how quickly they were to get back into the playoffs and 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 produce really good hockey right away and that's just because these guys are some of the best in the world for a reason and they could do a great job of getting back now if anyone is like a beer league player after months they're probably really out of shape and can't keep up these guys are professional athletes or in a lot of cases will be professional athletes one day. So I, I wasn't too surprised that they, they got together and, and performed as quickly as they did. How amazed were you when you did see the performance put on by the Austrian goaltender, Sebastian Ranischitz against the United States? I wasn't sure who was going to be the Benjamin Cons of this tournament, but we found it in Sebastian Ranischitz. Um, I know a lot of people are saying, oh, this will put him on NHL team's radars for the draft. It won't. It realistically, we, there was nothing with Gava. There was nothing with Benjamin Cons, and they've just kind of gone on to just quiet careers ever since. But um, you needed one. Basically, you always get one goalie on one of these weaker teams that goes out there and shines. And, and, that was him. Uh, Austria didn't do a good job defensively. I thought like, yeah, they were definitely outmatched, but when one of your best defensemen is actually a forward, that doesn't help your chances either. Um, Austria definitely, it was, it was a tough tournament for him, but they got the guy, the goalie just performed out of his mind and that could really help his performance. I, I played in a lot of hockey tournaments myself where we would get shelled 15, 16, nothing each game and then go win the championship when we go back home because of that experience of having to play against those higher competition. And maybe that helps him. He's got Bernard uh, Stockburn, who's one of the best Austrian goalies on the Vienna Capitals as a starting goalie. So I don't think we're going to see him be able to take over, but this might be able to push him in his career. And that's really good for him. That, that put him on the map for all of Austria. And I think it's good that, you know, these teams aren't getting relegated. So it'll be the same amount of teams uh, or the same teams, I should say for the next tournament. Uh, and, you know, that's good because they, you know, this experience is so invaluable to these players and who knows just how good and how big of a jump we'll see from, you know, Sebastian Branschitz or even if Marco Rossi does come back. Yeah, so I don't think Rossi will come. Well, Rossi is all 2001, I believe, so he can't come back. He was a late 2001. But otherwise, it's like Austria is not it, – it, it was kind of a tough one because, like, some of the best players the program has had in the last 15 years are now aged out, and Rossi and Benjamin Baumgartner the year before that. So um, it, it was tough for that. But, uh, I, you know, Austria has got some – 
some guys that could really jump from that experience and, and take it. They've now got a goalie who played fantastic, who's going to be back in the same rank. Uh, he, he now knows how the North American angles work, which is important for a goalie. And I think that's going to be a, a huge bonus. Uh, they're just going to need kind of a lot of luck. And this is not a team that I think they're going to be relegated, but that opportunity to play here this year was a very unique opportunity that teams on the, uh, on the, the close to relegation side of things usually don't have so they got that experience and they don't have to worry about it but they may be able to take it next year and, and do something with it i don't think they will but it was still important experience for them and i think that one thing that we're really missing out from this uh tournament this crazy tournament is just christian woolwind and you know i'm sure that we could all use uh, his interview right about now oh that was that was fun when he he gave that one really popular quote on buffalo and i was the next guy to ask a question i'm like I, I, nothing I ask is going to be as good as what you just answered. So I'm, I can't say anything. <laughs> That's how I loved it. One of the creative things that you've done while covering the world juniors now is you've been drawing the goals to go along with your Twitter posts about announcing the goal. Is that kind of to help the visual learner or is that kind of to inform people if they're missing the game? So I used to post video clips of the goals just more for myself. So I could reference it later and say like, this was something that really caught my eye on this defensive play. Um, but TSN did not like that last year. And they sent me a couple of cease and desist uh, uh, things and actually um, DMCA to my account where they were trying to get my tw Twitter account deleted. Um, and you've seen that with some popular uh, replay guys now uh, the way it's working. But I uh, said, okay, out of spite, because I knew the two guys who actually sent the DMCA complaints, and I uh, were not fans of them after that, even though they were friends of mine at the time. I uh, I drew uh, Niels Hoglander his lacrosse goal and said, "Screw it, let's just have some fun with it." And, and it became this thing where I was doing TV shows, talking about it. Some uh, social media managers in the NHL, NCAA, other hockey leagues were like, "That was genius. That's a good way of combating it." And it's like, all right, so it's it's just kind of taking a life on its own. It's been fun and. It's, I don't know if I'll do it again next year, but it's been two years in the running and I got to say people are enjoying it. My favorite was one I did yesterday, which I deleted. I, I think I didn't draw it the way I wanted to, which is when Slovakia scored against the Americans. Uh, it was a blast of a shot and I yeah, put that in, but then I put a photo of the guy with an RPG, but it made it look like he was trying to blow up Spencer Knight. It's like, no, no, that's not <laughs> I, mean. I was trying to get Spencer Knight to like duck down because it was such a hard shot. It but was. It, it, it was a joke and people thought it was hilarious, but I'm like, okay, it could be taken the wrong way. So I deleted it, but it, it was, it was, I thought it was funny. It was my favorite one. Well, at least, uh, you know, you're trying to have fun with this tournament, right? And, you know, it was, 2020 was just such a miserable year for the majority of us. Um, and at least that's one way of having fun with it, you know? Yeah. It, it's, it's something to make people smile. It's funny. It's, uh, got a thousand other people that are putting the, the, the tweets out there, but like, at the same time, I question who's following like if you're, if you're, I'm doing it there for kind of a, a comedic thing, but yeah, yeah, if, yeah. if, if you're following Twitter, following the game and you're not watching, I don't know what you're doing. It's like you, if you're following the game, I'm, I'm surprised you're not watching it. So I think that everyone most just would have seen it for the most part. So I'm just like, let's have a funny take on it. And again, it's taking a life on its own. It's fun. And uh, I, I only save it for this tournament because it's just something different. Would you ever think about doing it for the Spengler cup? There's just not enough of an audience here in Canada that cares. Yeah. As much as I absolutely love the Spengler Cup, and and I was so disappointed we didn't get to do it this year. Um, I don't think there's the same market for it. It's just a it, unless it's like a a huge hit, but at the same time, it's like you're 
it, it really works when people are watching the game. It really does, yeah. But I don't think it has the same lasting impact two hours later when a lot of these people are like waking up and just starting to follow the game or something. It's like, I don't think it would have the same impact. I tried for the NHL All-Star game. And it just like, I didn't have as much fun with it. it. It seems like it fits its purpose where it is right now. And I just want to kind of leave it at that. Another complaint that's been going on with the current World Juniors is that teams are, you know, blowing out. We're seeing the super teams blow out the lower competition, I guess I could say. Uh, you know, do you think that's just because of teams losing players to COVID or uh, why do you think that is? COVID definitely has an impact on that. But uh, at the same time, it's been we've seen in this tournament year after year, we'll get these blowouts. It happens, uh, especially with the teams in the relegation round. We've seen Americans absolutely just obliterate Kazakhstan when they were in Victoria and things like that. It, it just, it happens in the tournament. Um, there's definitely an argument to be made to cut to eight teams. There's an argument to be made to put to 12 teams. There's an argument to rejig everything. It's not a perfect format right now, but I think it might be the best one we have. And just for the sake of it, um, I know one format that people are saying, it's like, let's split the lower teams in one group and the higher mm-hmm. teams in another group, yeah. which would be good in theory for competition side of things, but this is still a development tournament. Um, and the one thing about that is Austria being at this tournament and playing USA and playing Russia, playing Sweden will have a bigger impact on the global game there than playing Slovakia or playing Switzerland or playing Germany, it doesn't have the same impact playing teams closer to your level. So um, it, it sucks from an enjoyment stand of things, but it just, at the same time, we need to be able to see actual tangible results. We see Switzerland, but they can never stay consistent for, they have one great year and then they take three or four years off before they're good again. Slovakia truly hasn't really shown any improvement over the last 20 years. And hopefully some of their 2004 born players change that, but you really got to hope that do you actually see some real changes? And I don't think also having a tournament in North America helps people in Austria with, if they're playing the 9.30 PM game here, what are they doing there? Four or 5 PM or four or 5 AM over in Austria? Well, that's not going to get the casual viewers watching. And that's what you really need to grow the game there. And do you think that um, it would help with some exposure for having, you know, these Austrian and Switzerland players? It definitely helps the scouts because the scouts can't go out there and easily watch these guys, you know, put players on their radar or if they're on the radar, it gives them a chance to see what they could really do. And it definitely helps that uh, a good tournament for a, a, a second liner in Austria matters way more than it's excellent tournament from a guy like Dylan Cousins. Cause we know what Dylan Cousins could do, but we don't necessarily know what a, a Santa Peters is going to do in comparison or, or even Marco Casper. So, um, that that being said, yeah, like I, th- I think there's definitely the the exposure of those prospects is very important. But at the same time, they I we people say like this is the most important part of their their career for a lot of these players. But on the flip side, are are we doing this tournament for competition, scouting, or a feel good thing? And we we don't want it to be like oh like it's good that you're here. There has to actually be some value in the team being there. And I gotta say that Slavkovsky guy looks amazing from what I've seen. Yeah, he's. I can't uh, be the only one thinking that. Yeah, him and Simon Nemec are two of the really good guys on Slovakia, where they've they've shown what they could do. Sorkowski, like I didn't think he was going to play second line necessarily, but he looked really good there. Um, as he continues to to improve his game, he's going to be a really star prospect for the 2022 draft. 2022 is looking really good. Brad Lambert, Shane Wright, and Matt Savoy, just to name a few. And uh, so it's really cool to see that. And um, Slovakia has got some guys. Let's just see what they could do with him. Because every few years they get some really good prospects that just don't really work. Let's see if that finally changes. One another storyline that we should focus on is, uh, you know, Sweden's uh, 54 game consecutive win streak in round robin play got snapped by Russia as they did win in overtime. 
how did Russia defend so well, or what did Russia do in their game plan to snap that streak? Uh, well, it, it's Jesper Wal- Wallstad, as good of a goalie as he was. That was a tough game to put him in. Hey, uh, we're trying to, you, you got to go win us. Your first World Junior game is going to be against Russia, and you got to win this game. Ooh, that's tough. Uh, so that, I think if you put Alnafeld in there, as, as bad as Alnafeld kind of played against the Americans next game, I think Wallstad would have been a good one for him not to play that or maybe have played earlier in the tournament because that's a lot of pressure to play your first World Junior game against Russia of all teams, a team that everyone expected to go get it for a medal. So uh, I didn't think he played bad. I just think maybe the goaltending change would have, for a different goaltender in there, might have been a difference. Um, Sweden just, they, you know, I saw how many times Alex Holtz hit the post. It was just like they had some bad luck. It is what it is. Russia, I didn't think necessarily outplayed them by any stretch of the imagination. I just think Sweden just got unlucky and Ashcroft was good when he needed to be. So I, I think that was a fantastic hockey game. It was just, uh, we knew there was a threat that Sweden would not succeed this year because of COVID and some of the guys they had to miss, like Carl Henriksen and guys like that. And it just, and that's how it happened. Yeah, I must agree with you there. And, you know, I think that if they did start Hugo Elnafelt, who does have more experience under his belt, uh, they may, you know, results may have been different. Because like you said, when you're throwing in a rookie in such a, you know, high-touted game, you know, just streaks on the line, uh, it's crazy to try and, you know, continue that streak, especially if you're a rookie. The Swedish coaching staff, uh, yeah, like they were, they were kind of a thrown-together effort because of all the COVID situations that they had. Um, but teams don't go against other top teams and try to lose. So Sweden clearly thought putting Wallstead in there was the best decision and it didn't work out, but they also have to worry about the next game where uh, if they lost against Russia, well, they still had to go out there and beat Sweden or beat the Americans to, um, to, to potentially still take the top spot. So they had to look at what their best lineup would be each night. And it just, it was a shame that they just did nothing against the Americans, but they, they looked like a team that was getting frustrated and they struggled to score and it happened just the way it did. I got to say, I'm quite impressed with uh, the goalie setups this year with like all the pads and, you know, the designs they did. They I match. Love... They finally all match. I this know. Is the first I... time they all the goalie setups match in this tournament. It's great. I, I think it's awesome. Uh, I love Ask Askarov's uh, customization with the red pads. It goes really well with the jersey. Yeah, it's, it's, well, I think both Russian goalies have the same exact helmet and pad setup. So it's the only way you can tell who's different is just because of the glove hand. But uh, it's been nice to see that. It's uh, one of the things I always liked about the juniors was because you would get a guy like Tuka Rask wearing his uh, Finnish uh, green pads for Team Finland, which didn't match at all. But I kind of like that kind of combination. But uh, it's nice that everyone's kind of followed with Team Canada and USA and even Sweden to a point of just like, let's, let's actually like matcher pads let's see how it works and it works except Hugo go felt with his neon yellow pads does not match the golden jerseys i love them i love bright colors but not sure they match one last note there on the sweden streak and you know it's quite strange because they did win 54 straight round robin games but they only have one gold medal to show for with uh we all know mika zabinajad uh, you know part of that goal there to secure the gold medal, but do you think that we'll ever see another streak like that again? No, I think it's going to be very hard to see that. Uh, Sweden, as the tournament continues to get stronger and stronger, like when Sweden first started doing that, the competition overall the tournament was not as strong as it is today. And so I think for that, it's a good sign for the tournament. Um, But there was a lot of games that I got really lucky along the way and had some nice bounces go their way. So I, I think it's going to be very tough to see that, but wow. That was fun. That was a lot of fun to see that.
Speaking of the competition strength, I got to say, I'm quite impressed with how Finland has uh, really built their program. Uh, they're becoming quite a modern dynasty, I must say. Yeah, that's a team where they never need to have the biggest star players, but they they just they make it work. They they do what they need to do, and uh, they I think that's something where you, you got to have teams like that because at one point they were one of the stronger teams. They're a smaller country, as I like to mention every year in the broadcast, 5 million people, blah, blah, blah. But they they kind of subscribe to these right ideologies and how they got to play. They all work as a group. And at every international tournament, when they've got a roster, we're like, ah, it's just okay. They tend to surprise. I picked them to finish fifth place and they could still come fourth and not make me look totally silly. But um, I I don't know how you could complain about the group they got. They it's clearly working, and they've got uh, something that's really, really exciting there. So uh, the Finns, they're going to be putting in a good effort against the Americans, but um, it's also really important to see how guys like Anton Lundell, uh, uh, Anton Lundell, Villahenola, and Topi Nimuno play because those are the most important players on that lineup. Speaking of you know the World Juniors, which brings all the hype to the prospects, uh, you know this 2021 NHL entry draft is going to be quite insane because of all the uncertainty. Does that kind of excite you a little bit? I feel bad for the prospects. Um, the thing about this one is like the 2020 draft, we knew that was going to be one of the stronger drafts in a long time. So I wasn't too worried about that. The 2021 is a bit of a step down and there's been a lot of those guys who haven't played or those guys having to play outside of their comfort zone. It's one thing to play like be a guy like Brant Clark and you, you put out incredible results playing in Barry in, in your, that's where you live. That's where, you know, but then for him having to go play on the bigger ice again in a, a whole new country at such a young age. Yeah. He's got his brother to play with there in Slovakia, but it's like, that's, that's not easy for a kid like that. So there's a lot of guys that have really got to adjust to this year. Um, but I think what will be exciting is just to see where this group goes in five years. Again, I didn't think this was a stronger group than 2019, 2020, and 2022, 23. I like more. Um, so there's still a lot of uncertainty. There's no clear number one prospect, and that's something we haven't had in a long time since maybe 2017. And it just it, it, there is so much uncertainty. That I think that will make this a fun draft. Uh, but I do feel bad for the prospects. They're not getting the full experience and everything they would uh, they would hope for. Hopefully, we get to be in the draft in June or July, whatever it is, and the, the players get to be there and they get to live it up like that. Like you mentioned, uh, you know, some players are going to have to, uh, you know, adjust to the different playing styles with them playing overseas on a loan from, uh, you know, their OHL or WHL, CHL clubs. What exactly is the future of junior hockey in Canada? Because right now in a shutdown, uh, it's hard for the OHL to come back. And, you know, the QMJHL has had to pause three times. The WHL had to pause or had to delay the start of their season. So can you know, heaven forbid I say that the CHL will never start up again? Maybe not this season, but in, in the future, of course, I, I think they will. Uh, it, it's definitely going to hurt a lot of these teams financially. And uh, so that's why they want to get back as quick as possible. But it, it trickles down to all junior levels right, at that same point. But um, for major junior teams, it's tough. And you you got you rely on the, the gate revenues and the sponsorships to make it work. You don't have the funding otherwise to really uh, survive. So you, you want to come back. And it's a shame that a lot of these guys, like if Brant Clark all of a sudden makes the NHL next year, which I don't think he will. Does that mean Barry got one year out of one of the best prospects they've had since Aaron Eckblad? That would really be a shame. So um, it, it's really tough, but there's just not much you could do at this point. You just kind of got to go with what's what's happening. And I, I'm, I'm glad the OHL is not going to go ahead with right away and have the no contact. I think that's, I think everyone kind of can agree that's not the, the way to go uh, for a development side of things. But uh, I think it's going to be, when they get it back, I think, all three leagues, I think they're going to do it right because of how much time they've had to prepare for this. So you just got to hope so. 
And, you know, with the news coming about the vaccines uh, that are rolling out right now as we speak uh, with 2021, that could be a huge year. Uh, I've heard that the MLB is waiting to start their season because they want to get their players vaccinated. Uh, you know, and maybe, just maybe, the CHL can get their hands on a couple of those uh, to, you know, help jumpstart their season. Yeah, and that'd be a great thing to do. There's, there's a lot of people involved and uh, and making it happen, but it's as long as they can also just find the funding to make sure that the teams can operate without fans, then we'll be able to see them back on the ice. And it, you, you can't exactly just do the bubble situation a lot of people are suggesting. These are still teenagers. They still go to school. They still got to live a life like that. They can't just sacrifice everything to, to play it, unfortunately. So it's just not realistic. So um, a lot of hurdles for the junior level in particular. Getting into your story a bit here, who was your biggest influence to start sports journalism? I want to say, uh, I'd love to say Bob McKenzie. And it's a guy who, um, did specifically because of how, what he did at the World Juniors and seeing this guy, he tells great stories and uh, his chemistry with James Duffy is obviously very apparent, but you, you could tell he's very passionate about what he does and he, he gets so much out of out of people and his story so i'd say him for sure and watching the world juniors how they produce it and how it was that it definitely got me really interested in sports journalism did you happen to read his new book that he came out with i have it's a it's a he again the, the what i like about his stories it's just like it, it it takes a look at the little people across the way and the ones that influence a lot of uh what he writes about talks about but then stories that just don't get a lot of attention i think that's really cool like Bob McKenzie, he who he graduated uh, from Ryerson University, you as well are a graduate from Ryerson University. Did you take the sport media program there? I, I got into the sports media program, but it was brand new. And at the time, this was before like Sportsnet and other entities really put a lot of money into it. So I was like, I want to save side. Let's do the journalism because that's what I wanted to do since I was in elementary school and to be in that program. And again, and that was really cool. I remember my parents woke me up and said, Stephen, you got into school. It's like, okay. And I went back to sleep. And that, that, that was the day and it is what that, it is what it is for that. But uh, yeah, no, that was, uh, that is, it was cool to be able to get there and just seeing all the people who went through the, the through school and stuff like that. It was a lot of a fun. What skills did you learn at Ryerson and how did you apply them to where you are today? I think uh, one of it is just kind of just how you deal with, with people and, and stuff like that. Cause a lot of what we were learning at school, I actually did outside of school, like early, like I, in, in high school, I had my own TV show on a local network, uh, Kojiko, and I uh, did some stuff with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And so I had a lot of that experience, but this was just kind of not only to get me more practical experience, but it was also to just get, get to work with groups of people that are doing the same thing. I didn't really go to school with people who are really into journalism. So I was kind of on my own, didn't really know other people who were doing it. And, uh, and also just, again, just being able to learn just some of the smaller things that you don't think about um, and just kind of like making sure you're editing your work as hard as you can and uh, resource gathering and things like that. So uh, that was a lot of fun and met some really good people. My girlfriend uh, actually went to the program and that's how we met. So uh, five years later. So it's been, uh, it, it was definitely a good time and learned a lot there. Well, part of your profile that I, as I was doing research here is that you started your own website called the hockey house and that what kind of influenced you to start that? So that was in high school and a couple of friends of mine who, who none of them work in, in sports media now, but one's actually a, uh, he started, he, he's like a movie director now and doing some pretty cool stuff. Um, we created this website just because like, you know what, there were some hockey blogs out there, but this was, I want to say 2010, 2011. And it's like, they're just, 
they were cool, but like, let's do something ourselves. Let's do something we were really proud of. And we, we started, it took a long time to get it up October 2nd, 2011, I believe eventually went up and, um, it was great. We, we did like the whole thing for me was I wanted to focus on some of the more obscure stories. I covered Argentine in hockey. Uh, one of my favorite events I ever did was um, the Pan Am ice hockey games. And I wrote about those games. I was watching cell phone streams at 1130 at night. But one of my all time favorite stories was um, this guy, um, Logan Delaney, who played for team Canada in that tournament, just explaining like how people thought it was the coolest thing that team Canada is in this tournament. Now, of course it's like a bunch of beer league guys who represent Canada, but it meant so much to people in Mexico and Brazil and Colombia and Argentina and just being able to tell those stories and not having people tell me what to do I think gave me an opportunity to to get experience as an editor get experience as a uh, writing um, it just let me continue to put out content that I wanted to do and not be told what I had to do and those having that ability without the restrictions was really nice and it turned out we made a mobile app back when uh, that was more of a popular thing to do we had our own tv show and um, we did a lot of really cool stuff with that when did you get a sense that your website would take off and explode like it did? It was cool because we we were thinking like, well, let's like let's mention to to some media people and say like, here's what we're doing. Like, what do you think? And people were like, oh, those are really solid numbers. Like back then, we would get a couple hundred thousand hits a, a year, which sports blogs weren't doing that. That was not a thing. There weren't many out there. So it was really cool. And then uh, Global Mail came and said, hey, like we like what you're doing. We'll do a story on you guys. And we were front page in the sports news. And uh, that was really cool for that. And um, and eventually, you know, just kept going and going. And we, we were really hitting the niches, like the things that people really weren't talking about. And one of the stories that actually helped us really was I got a lead that a guy, in, um, a player from Ukraine, died while playing in Russia in a game and that's a rare thing and we posted about it and it was being cited by Canadian press Associated Press things like that and it was like whoa wow. here we are a couple of teenagers doing this we broke some news and it's a very unfortunate that it happened actually some of our most popular stories were guys about guys who died and it's really unfortunate but from there it's just nice to be able to to do that and and carve our niche as the guys who were mostly known for international hockey in English speaking countries where, you know, where there's not a lot of coverage like that. Well, sometimes uh, the way you have to explode is through the, you know, minor stories, uh, you know, the uh, trying to get exposure through countries that don't really play hockey, you know? Yeah. And one of my all time favorite stories that I ended up doing a follow-up with uh, for the hockey news eventually later was uh, talking just about how Puerto Rico, uh, they, they hosted a game in a 17,000 seat arena between the, the Rangers and the Florida Panthers in 06. And the game was so unpopular that they basically banned hockey from being played in that rink. And wow. it was up until uh, they, 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 they didn't play for over a decade and they finally get the rink ready to go. And then the hurricane comes and destroys it. And then they've had to rebuild it ever since. So they basically spent the last 15 years in complete limbo and they got to play in a tournament last year. And it was so cool to see Puerto Rico finally win a game uh, as a country playing in an international event after everything they went through. I don't know if I've ever seen a country have to go through as much as they did. And then my, one of my other favorite stories was eventually for the hockey news about unicycle hockey. And uh, one of our interns, uh, a guy who actually, I, I, he was a big part of um, uh, the hockey house in the early days, but eventually became a hockey's intern, Bradshaw Furlong. We went to this random, like, like high school where they're playing unicycle hockey and they were explaining how they play with that. And then they, they showed us video of them lighting up, up one of the balls on fire. And then they play with a flaming ball. And it's like, this is so cool. And it's like, so I, I love those kind of just really weird stories.
That is definitely something strange and something that, you know, it's, it's quite unheard of when uh, you're talking about hockey. Well, that's the thing. We, I also covered, like, uh, I did a, uh, I went to an underwater hockey game, which not a really good spectator sport, I'd say, but uh, <laughs> you can't really see it. Um, but uh, it's just like things like that was really cool. And it's just like, it, it was fun to tell those stories and those people were just so happy. It was very weird though, going and talking to one of the guys and we're like, we're doing a story for the hockey news. Like, oh, what's that? Do you guys cover ice hockey? It's like, okay you guys are Toronto for hockey fans you haven't heard of that okay whatever sure and uh so that was kind of funny but it was it was it was it was a good time going to those games and just kind of seeing how weird it was but I got a 360 video I have a 360 camera I put it in the middle of the game and had everyone just avoid it and oh I got some really funny footage of those guys some of those guys are really talented one guy actually pulled off a lacrosse goal while spinning his unicycle I didn't get that on on camera but that was really cool that's insane yeah the guys who who organized it were like were like performance clowns like legitimate (laughs) clowns that were put it together and it's like whoa this makes this even cooler so I thought it was awesome Along with uh, covering unicycle hockey, you've also covered the North York Rangers and the Oakville Blades throughout your time. Uh, you know, how did you find the time to cover both those teams? Well, fortunately, that was them together were just a one year. Um, for the Blades, I, I reached out to them in high school and said, hey, you guys looking for a media guy? I'm looking to do media. So here we go. And that relationship really worked out. I worked for the team for five years. And uh, from time to time, I still do the video board for their games. And um North York, uh, one of the former Oakville Blades commentators, uh, Jamie Neukebauer, actually, he um, he was the longtime commentator for the Rangers. And when he moved away, he was moved to Saskatchewan. He he reached out and said, "Hey, like, I want to make you one of the commentators, one of the media guys." And I got to 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 get with uh, Jack, uh, Jake Howarth, who was also doing some stuff with the Blades before, and we we made this really cool tandem with the North York Rangers. A lot of fun. Those games were great. It was my first time really doing commentating. I never really wanted to do color commentary, but it was like, it was fun. It was great. It was fun. I was doing photos on the side and writing the game recaps. So busy games, but it was nice that the, the Rangers played on Sundays and the Blades played on Friday. So they never really overlapped. And it made it really good when they played each other in the playoffs that year. Um, that made it very easy to go to all the games, but um, yeah, it was fun. You know, I, I always recommend to, to student uh, journalists and other people trying to get into it if you can work for a junior hockey team that's some of the most valuable experience you can have and just being at the rink is important but being able to work in junior hockey like i worked junior a at the ojhl some of the best experience I've ever had i got to be part of um the oakville blades plan to play um to host the dudley hewitt cup which at the time was the like ontario championship and it was a really big deal and um end up losing to Trenton that year, which was devastating, but just being a part of that and being trusted to be a part of that plan when I was still in high school. was so cool. What was the big difference between the North York Rangers and the Oakville blades, whether it was coaching philosophies or systems that were ran uh, between those two teams? Well, for the Oakville it was a very big work in progress because the idea was they wanted to be able to take, like they had a kind of a four-year plan where they would take the guys to who came through the system, the guys who were playing for Oakville, Moha, Oakville Rangers, all the way to the Oakville Blades and make it this step ladder where they weren't being like the other teams and just getting the, the highest quality players in the league. They were trying to develop and it really worked. They won the championship a couple of years ago with a team that was, I want to say it was like 16 or 17 guys from Oakville, which is huge. Uh, the North York Rangers, it's not one of those teams like they're, they're it kind of, they're in North York, but it's not a huge hockey market. And we, we saw it in the, the fans. There was very few ever at the games, but it was still a very good hockey team, very good coaches, incredible coaching staff on both teams. North York Rangers, they were in hockey schools as some of the coaches and 
seen some of the guys play pro hockey and things like that. So it was really cool to see that. Um, and that for the blades, it was a very well-balanced effort. The Rangers where we were going to smother you for our defense and it worked. And the first year or the only year I worked for the team before I moved to Calgary, uh, they actually, uh, had the best season in franchise history, which dates back very, very long time. So that was really cool. And it must have been a conflict of interest when those two teams met up in the playoffs. It, it's it's weird because like for the Blades, I, I by the time I started working for the Rangers, my role was I, I kind of moved it away a little bit because I was still doing university and I was still doing two teams and still writing for other places. So I couldn't just do all that. But the Rangers was the one I think I was more involved in at that point. And for the Blades, it was still like doing the video board, still doing some of their media stuff, still social media. It made it very easy, except for the fact a few times on Oakville's Twitter account, I put photos of the Rangers because they got like almost the same jersey. So I just got confused, uh, but eventually get that figured out. It was so it was really cool being able to still do that. And um, but at the same time, like, you know, I, I, I worked different roles for both teams. So it kept it easy. Speaking on your time with the Oakville Blades, you know, they average the best attendance throughout your five year tenure. Does that, you know, feel rewarding at all? It, it definitely did. Like, obviously, there was a lot of people like the team itself made that happen. But it was really nice to be a part of the marketing team that helped make that happen. And um, we, we had one of the biggest social media presences in all of Junior A. And um, it, it was really cool to be a part of that and, 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 and get that experience because it's one thing where, you know, it's, it's hard to really sell hockey in certain areas where there's a lot of competition or just maybe the market's just not there but in oakville it's like we know what this market could be like we we know how passionate people are about hockey in oakville and um so that was really cool to be able to do that and the pink games are always a huge success we raise a ton of money each year and some fantastic people on the marketing side of things that made it work and my job was just to tell the story on social media and the numbers proved that it worked and i'm i'm so thankful for that time there Speaking of rewards, uh, you know, you were credited full credentials to the World Cup of Hockey back in 2016. How impressed were you with Team North America at that tournament? Oh, well, that, that was that was fun because I missed so much school. Like I missed like two and a half weeks of school to be at those games. And I my marks suffered for a bit, but I didn't care. Uh, North York <laughs> was... North York was, or uh, Team North America was fun. Like I, I, the World Cup of Hockey in 2004 is one of the things that got me into hockey. And cause like, I'm only, I'm only 24. So like I, I, by then I was still pretty young and it was really cool to see that tournament and to see it be there and get to see all the superstar players and the huge media presence. It was so much fun. And I, I could say that I was, I got to cover the, the tournament that North America got to play and Hell, that was so much fun. I picked Team Europe because I knew everyone, like you, you had to pick three teams to cover. I picked Canada, Finland, and Europe. And I got to be, make sure I was, I had a prime spot for all those games. But it was just like such a blast, so much fun. And uh, getting, getting to see some of those games. I, I, I Team India's coach actually uh, was living in Toronto at the time. And he, I sat down with him and a game, uh, I believe it was against Sweden, but it's like some fun games, just getting to see in person. It's like, so close and, and to see that skill like we'll, we'll never see something as special as that because even if you're going and put a team like that now if you don't have Connor mcdavid and jack eichel it's, it's not the same you, you got to have those superstar players and oh, not saying the young guys are bad now we got guy if you get kale mccarr and quinn hughes playing together oh man that would be a blast but uh i just don't think we'd have the same effect and so with you covering finland uh you know sweden and canada uh or sorry if i got that wrong it was it was europe finland and canada europe finland and canada sorry um did you ever get a good perspective of the overtime between north america and sweden yeah I, that i actually i was up in the the uh the booth for the 
start of the game and then i went down to ice level like i was like behind the glass for that overtime and i it felt like the fastest thing i've ever seen and like I'm, I'm a racing guy it felt like we we're watching a f1 race right there it was, it was so much fun I got to say, that has to be one of the best overtimes, you know, everyone has, any hockey fan has really seen. I, I still think, say my favorite overtime, I can't remember what year, unfortunately, so it makes it hard to, to clarify, but there was a year where Canada and Davos had an incredible Spangler Cup three on three overtime. It was like, the shots were like eight to seven or something. It was like, holy crap, this is amazing. Uh, that one, I think, gives it for me, but like, we, we saw what the talented young guys can do. A team with Connor McDavid and Nathan McKenna on it, like, come on, like, what a group. That, that was so much fun and that the game was so great and it's unfortunate they didn't go any farther but i didn't also think they would either i i was shocked that europe made it to the finals but i'd say that was a fun tournament speaking of your time in high school you worked on you know segments prior to maple leafs home games on leafs tv you know would you say that the maple leafs were your favorite team growing up no uh, I think you can see it right there. Actually, I was, I grew up a Canadians fan. That's a chair from the Montreal forum. Um, I, I the, my mom was a Habs fan. I, and my dad was a Leafs fan. I just followed my mom. Cause she told me to, I made it easy. <laughs> uh, it, so it was kind of weird doing stuff. The Leafs, the, the story, how it worked was uh, I had a show on Kojiko and my producer and I, we were actually going to cover our very first Leaf game. And we were at the time. And I think still the case, we were the youngest media members ever to cover a lease game and we go on the train and we, we we rush on at oakville station which is very very busy and we can't find a spot and one guy waves to us and we're like don't know who you are but we'll walk towards you because you have seats and it turns out it was a leafs tv producer who knew who we were from watching our show like the night before oh wow and said hey we want you to produce segments and we did and it was cool and we did a, a mix of interviews of junior prospects and uh just kind of uh my my co-host brennan saunders and curtis morrison we would we did a little segment it was a lot of fun it was so much fun we got to do some really cool stuff and i think for the leafs for a couple of years couldn't beat the montreal canadians and i we were part of the pre-game for the last time the leafs beat the halves and then it was like not again for years afterwards, which is kind of funny. So that, that was, those were good times. I love that group. And uh, we, we did a lot of recording at like six or seven in the morning, but we got the, the, the intro, we filmed the intro scene where we actually just emailed 16 mile sports club. Like, can we record at like five in the morning when you guys aren't queuing us? Sure. Why not? We had an hour to do it. Filmed a really cool intro sequence that we still had like, like some of the clips still impressed me how we did it. And uh, yeah, it was pretty fun. Well, I gotta say, I must agree with uh, falling back on, you know, the hockey mom side of things there, uh, you know, cheering for the Habs there. That, that's great. Yeah, part, part of it was because I thought Jose Theodore's goalie pads were really cool. And then also because I thought the Habs jersey was just nicer than the Leafs. Uh, yeah. And when I'm six or seven years old, that was easy to persuade me. Well, for sure. I mean, you know, when you're six or seven, uh, you kind of look at the colors of the jerseys and whatever pops out, you kind of side with that. And I eventually became a huge Hamilton Bulldogs fan, partly because they wore very similar jersey colors, mm -hmm. but uh, just because it was fun watching those prospects. I spent a lot of time with those games too. It was I was very devastated when they lost the AHL team, even though by then it's like, well, I'm probably going to see them more because I cover the OHL more, but it was like that, that, that meant a lot to me when they were there. So going back to, uh, you know, the whole point of this, uh, you know, with the Leafs TV segment, like you mentioned, you profiled junior players uh, in Ontario. Was that kind of to give the fan more knowledge about those junior players? Uh, a little bit. It was kind of, it was more of like a, we just want to put a spotlight on some guys that we think are worth noting. And it was junior A players in particular, but one of those guys was Evan Bouchard back when he was an AP with Oakville Blades and, be trying to be a pretty good player um we had other ones like jack lafontaine who's a carolina hurricanes prospect a few other guys who got drafted and it was part of us just like we wanted to showcase the talent um and 
it worked and the Leafs liked it. It was just like a different thing to show. It's like, here's people in the Toronto area that are worth getting to know. And a lot of them got drafted. So and a lot of them didn't. There's a lot of guys who went on to never play hockey again after that season. But for a lot of those guys, it was, it was pretty cool. You've produced two podcasts so far to this point. What are some of the successes and challenges you've had with those podcasts? Oh, I've, I I wouldn't say two anymore. I think I I guess that that I guess I should update that in my bio. Uh, I, I produce about eight different shows a week now, um, so it, it's been a lot of fun. I started my own show when I was a uh, back in. Um, elementary school and a friend of mine and then uh, eventually in high school brought up a new one the hockey house podcast and uh, those were cool and then getting to work on uh um like all the hockey news shows now and i also work on nick kiprios's show on uh, line movement so it's been a lot of fun being able to do all that it's like it's you get a lot of different perspectives but i just enjoy hockey and i like talking about hockey and all that so again it's it's been a lot of fun to do that and how do you make sure that content stays fresh? Because I know that when you're hosting eight shows or when you're a part of eight shows that, you know, content can kind of stay dry. And, you know, you want the fan or the viewer to, you know, stay engaged and kind of get that fresh content. Well, yeah, like the, the good thing is a lot of the, the, the hosts that I, I get to work with are really good. Like Mike Keenan, like he's a legendary NHL coach. So he's got a lot of really good stories. I uh, worked with Frick Five for a long time. He's had some good stuff about players he played with. Um, uh, now we're work- I'm working with Ian Pulver, who's an NHL agent, who's getting some really good stories out of guys that you wouldn't really know about. So that is just a nice variety. And then um, I, I work on uh, the one show I mainly host is the Prospect Podcast with Ryan Kennedy. And that's good because it's content that people are looking for and not a lot of people are doing. And that's something that's been really fun. We're doing some more with the World Juniors. And uh, our main show, I, I'm just a producer on that. But it's cool that we got three good hosts who really know each other very well and are very they're very strong chemistry and um, it's been fun working with Matt Larkin, Ryan Kennedy and Ken Campbell. So uh, it, it's good that there's a nice, a bit of variety of everything. So it doesn't feel too stale. And speaking on the world junior point, actually you create a, like a 250 page manual or what? I was what? A, there, so there was the one year I did a hundred and then yeah. there was uh, there was another one year I did 66 and all by myself wrote all the articles except for like one each. Um, and uh, a lot of photos I took, a lot of the photos I had with a photographer and uh, that was a lot of fun. Took a lot of work. I actually won an award for my, my, my 2019 world junior guide um, from Ryerson for best uh, multimedia sports uh, thing, which um, about a minute before I got the award, I got a notification about the humble Broncos crash. So the whole thing felt very weird that day, but uh, it it was very cool to win that award. It was my only proof. I actually went to school, I should say, but uh, (laughs) but it it was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, And uh, doing those guides were a lot of work and a lot of research, but they, they helped pay for me to cover back-to-back tournaments and all the costs uh, around that. So that was a lot of good times and I kind of missed doing it, but the world junior guy for the hockey is a little better. I'd say a lot, I should say a lot better. You also do reporting on the KHL, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, you know, how is hockey played there differently than in North America like we're used to? Yeah, so I host the KHL report. I got a couple of really good guests in, uh, in um couple of reporters out in the KHL that come out and um, it's, it's been, it's a lot different. Obviously you got like some of the top players, the guys who can make it over the NHL, but uh, the quality of hockey is for the most part good. But a lot of the fun is the drama that goes on, whether it's players not getting paid or this year it's uh, Jokrit getting COVID every 30 seconds. And, uh, but also I like it from the prospect side of things. We get a chance to see some really good Russian prospects. And uh, so it, it's different in terms of just the skill level is not as high, but it's still guys who are really passionate about a very skilled, type of hockey it's not necessarily super physical it's it's a lot more skilled but i i like that 
What can you say about what you've heard from or, you know, what people told you about Igor Chinikov? Uh, obviously, he surprised everyone oh, on Sportsnet uh, as I was watching the draft. Yarmo Kekalainen completely going off the board there. Yeah, I, I could say I didn't really know anything about him other than, like, I remember him playing, like, one Helenka Gretzky game, I think it was. Like, that was my only, I reckon, like, recollection of him. But ever since, he's put up, like, abs- like he had a very good run in the KHL, kind of warm cooled down for a little bit but then he started to pick it back up uh we saw him play a fantastic Ariella cup uh he got hurt in the world junior so we haven't seen him but he's someone where people are saying like when he's got the puck he'll do something with it and it's usually very positive so um a lot of really good feedback on the guy i think he's i don't think he was a first round pick and i don't think that's changed from what i've seen from him but it's still think that you know columbus wanted him and they got the guy so i i, I they know better than i would i'll say that Speaking on your time with the hockey news, how have they helped you hone your craft of journalism? Well, getting to work with some incredible editors, and uh, if they're listening right now, uh, you guys are all going to make fun of me. But uh, Brian Costello, I think, is one of the most outstanding editors I've ever had a chance to work with. He will criticize everything you do, but it makes you better. And my favorite phrase he has is the economy of words. It's like, okay, here's a sentence. Can you cut out five words from it? Here's a challenge. If you can't, fine. If you can better. And uh, that's, uh, I think that's really cool. Like just making the most of what you have. Uh, Ed Frazier has been one who's given me so much uh, help ever since I was an intern there. And uh, obviously the writers are fantastic. We got great leadership from uh, Jason K. So it's a great group. Like we're a small group. It's when we're in the office, which hasn't been in a long time, it's, it's so good to be there. It feels like the only place I've ever really wanted to go on a daily basis and, and be there because it's just so much fun. And obviously, you know, we're trying to get back uh, into that office environment, right? Uh, you know, Please. hopefully uh, in the near future, because I, I just bet that environment with the hockey news is something that's, you know, you can't ever replicate. I think I'm grinding into like a, I should say midlife crisis. I don't want to live uh, until I'm 40, but um, I want to live a lot longer than that. Uh, but like, since I've like gotten like this off time, I've like redone my entire computer setup in the last like week. I've bought a 32 inch monitor and I just bought another one this morning, 27 inch. I, I've got too much equipment now, better mic stuff. <laughs> I think I, I need to get back in the office and go back to being not totally insane. Uh, but it's, I, I miss that being able to be with the people and go to the ranks. And it, it's one thing to, to talk over zoom. It's one thing to be with people. And that's exactly. what I really miss. It's, it's a great group of people. I love being with them. And again, it's, everyone from the the marketing people to the editors to the writers the graphics people it's a fun time and you actually interned with uh you know the hockey news before accepting uh their job as a full-time uh you know position there did you get a sense that they would eventually take you on again after you interned no not at all i I thought it was over it was really nice to be able to see those guys but um I, I tried to make the biggest impact I could. I was the only intern at the time. Usually there's two or three. And uh, I, I'd also very recommend if you're in university, for anyone listening, um, the Hockey News has a great internship program. It was some absolute blast of time, especially when you get to go be in the in the office. Uh, I help out with people on the video side of things. If you're not doing video, you get to learn it type of thing. And, um, but it was really cool. We got to see, um, I, got, I got to meet a lot of cool people through it and I got to get some really good experiences. And um, I, I try to keep a contact with the guys, but it's like, hey, here's me. And uh, I also was always in rinks. I try to be in rinks as much as possible. So I saw Ryan Kennedy quite a bit. I saw Ken Campbell a few times and it was nice to be able to kind of connect to those guys. And then when I knew they had a job opening and I'm like, 
you guys already know me. I could do this. Plus here's three other things that I didn't get to show you that I could do. And then it worked out very well. And uh, it was a, a I was told it was a really big uh, list of candidates and I, I'm very fortunate to be able to do what I'm doing, get to, to cover the sport I love for a, a company I always wanted to be a part of. And uh, I should mention that internship was back in 2017. And, you know, also one of uh, your other things that you did in 2017 was you did a five hour free agency podcast for <laughs> the hockey house. Uh, now, unfortunately, uh, 2017 free agency wasn't all that we hoped. Uh, I think the Carl Olsner signing really stole the headlines, but how much yeah. of your day was spent refreshing Darren Drager, Pierre Lebrun, Elliot Freeman's, you know, Twitter page. Well, see, the good thing is we did it like three years in a row. So we got really good at it. Um, but the, but the thing was we, we made sure we had guests every half hour. Okay, And being able to do that really helps keep it fresh and we get them to react to the signings. And it was a couple of times we get like a Nashville guy and then he'd get off and the Nashville would sign a player like two minutes later. It's like, kind of that happened when you were on the show, uh, but that happened a few times, but it was good. And we, we had a, like a three or four computer setup. The, the 2017 version, it started because we, we recorded these outside. It's like, it's, it's nice day. Let's be outside. Well, it wasn't a nice day around like two or 3 PM and it bucketed rain and we didn't stop. We continued doing this whole thing. I think if you watch the live stream, you could still see like us just, just like putting like towels and we were hiding underneath towels doing the show <laughs> while we still had guests on pouring rain. We had a gazebo ahead of us, but it didn't really work. And it was just a blast. It was so much fun, but it was just like, we were just getting drenched and we're like, well, we got so much camera and video and computer equipment out here. It's like, this is scary. And it's like, we can't did stop it. now. Got to power through it. It was too much fun. And we got, got a couple hundred people who watched. So like that yeah, for, for us at the time, that was pretty cool. How have you been impacted by this pandemic, whether it is your sports journalism or just your personal life? I could say I've, I've really in, enjoyed, like, like I could say I've enjoyed parts of it. Obviously, like I lost my job for a little bit where they let some people go from the hockey news and I got to come back and uh, it's, it felt like I never left. It was really that, that great of a kind of a transition, but I've been able to do a lot of extra free stuff. Like, you know, I, I wasn't, I knew that there'd be an opportunity once things started to get back to normal. Obviously we haven't got back to normal yet, but um, their opportunities did come and uh, it's got a new opportunity with line movement. That's been a lot of fun. Uh, I've, I did a lot of sim racing. I got to race against some, I, I race in like a, a championship against some real high profile race car drivers, some NASCAR champions, IndyCar champions, F1 drivers. Like it's so cool being able to do that. And um uh, I've got a spotter who helps. I got sponsors who are paying for this. We've got a couple of huge races coming up, including one uh, where the broadcasters are all NASCAR on Fox guys. So it's going to be really cool seeing all that. So I got to do that. I've uh, uh, it, it's obviously like I, I moved downtown to Toronto last November and was excited to be a two minute walk away from uh, Scotiabank arena. And I didn't get to really utilize that all too much before the pandemic began, but it was, it, it's been, I, I, I couldn't ask for anything more. It's been so much fun. Was it, did it ever give off the game day vibe? Cause obviously the NHL held their bubble in Toronto. And like you said, you're two minutes away from the ACC. Scotiabank, oh, I, I didn't get to go. I didn't get to go for those games, which hurt. Like that's like, I could see the players walk in the building and I couldn't go. Oh, that that's heartbreaking because it, it's, like, it's right there in front of you it's just like no i, I, I saw it. like i saw ovechkin walking down the street it's like, i want to be there and it's like, <laughs> I, I i couldn't i could see it from my apartment it was funny watching like i i i would see drones flying around for like the nbc broadcast I'm like i never saw the drone like i didn't expect to see a drone as i'm getting ready to wake up in the morning and there's a drone whizzing by my window it's like whoa that's cool. Why? And then a look later, it's like, oh yeah, that was on the NBC broadcast. Okay. And uh, so it's like, 
there was some cool aspects of it, but it, it kind of just sucked not being able to go to the games. And we're hoping to they'll be, be able to go to the, the Leafs games when they uh, they happen again because uh, I, I don't know if I'm going to get sick of uh, Montreal versus or Toronto versus Montreal, Toronto versus Ottawa. I think it's going to be a lot of fun watching those games three thousand times this year. Well, I, I agree. And, you know, um, I, from today, actually, uh, BC became the second province to, uh, you know, allow the NHL to play games. We're still waiting on Ontario, Quebec, and Man- uh, no, not Manitoba. Are we moving on Manitoba? We probably are. I don't know. Uh, I, all I know is that, uh, you know, Ottawa, or sorry, Ontario and Quebec uh, haven't approved yet, although BC and um, Alberta has. Yeah. So uh, it's going to be nice that we're going to, hopefully get everything kind of going uh, as planned. But uh, again, so much can change at any given moment. 10 days. We got 10 days to the NHL season. I'm, I'm excited, man. Uh, this North division is, you know, kind of like the eighties. I think that's what everyone's, uh, you know, calling this season. Cause we're not calling them conferences anymore. We're uh, calling them divisions. And, yeah. It's, uh, I agree. It's it's hopefully we get that eighties intensity that we're looking for here. Like it's going to be physical with these guys playing over and 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 over, and over again. You are quite experienced in promoting your content, whether it's through Twitter with your photos or even Snapchat and Instagram. Uh, you know, have you ever thought of taking a trip over to TikTok where, you know, obviously, uh, you know, it seems like a, a lot of people are heading that way. Oh, my girlfriend. I, I, only, I have a TikTok just so my girlfriend could send me cat videos. That's it. Like literally, no, literally nothing <laughs> else. I, I, just, I, I just don't like TikTok. I, it's mostly because... I'm tired of hearing, like, if you scroll through for five minutes, you'll hear the same three or four songs, like eight or nine times. And that just drives me insane. And it's like so much of it is so uncreative. If they're good, I'll find them on Twitter the next day. That's, that's with me. So it's all uh, reposting. It's all people reposting the good stuff. People repost them. Fine. I'll live with that. But the cat videos are good. My girlfriend's got a couple of cats and we love cats. And it's like, it's fun to be able to, to see some stuff. She's got her own for her cat that we never really did anything with, but uh, uh, yeah, no, I, I, TikTok's not my thing. I, I hate Instagram more than anything, but I, I have it just because it's a way to promote things. I can't stand Instagram. I don't care to look at people's photos. If I, Facebook and Twitter do that already. Why would I need That's another true. app just to look at photos? And for me, TikTok, it's like, well, you can do this everywhere else too. And short videos, ooh, what a concept. We already had that in Vine. So uh, it's, for me, I just, like, it's, it's, there's some good stuff on it. I just I find other ways of being entertained. Where do you think the journalism industry is heading with all of this, uh, you know, social media and, you know, stuff that is becoming more online rather than in print? You can't be a one trick pony. You got to be able to do a lot of everything. Like you get writers who just really write and don't do anything else. That's unless you're really established enough for a long time, you just can't do that anymore. You got to be able to do podcasts. You got to be able to do video. You got to be able to edit everything like that. So I think overall the journalists are becoming better because they're able to be trained in so many more things and and do many more things. But um, that versatility is very important. That's something I prided myself from when I was in high school. Like uh, by the time I got into Ryerson, I already had my own TV show. I'd been doing radio stuff for a few years. I had been writing. So uh, all that, it, it really made it, this more versatile thing. And I think that was really kind of important. And then now we see, obviously that's become a bigger thing as time goes on. As people continue to evolve in journalism, it's something you really got to be able to do. As we are closing off this interview here, do you have any advice for aspiring sports journalists? 
be in the if, if you're specifically in hockey if you if you want to get in hockey go be at the rinks cover games junior hockey is a great place to go it's got great access uh you can even tip in a lot of cases work and do social media or t- stuff for the team that'll get you noticed but the people there are, they want to help you junior hockey is a good place because it's development for everyone everyone's trying to do something the coaches are tr- a lot of times trying to go to the ohl or nhl ahl uh but they're also trying to help the, the people that are there and that's a place to go and you'll get some really good stuff and good contacts or contacts um but just being in rinks are very important and that goes for all sports just being there is so important uh i, I cover the nascar pinty series during the off season and of hockey and it's it's nice to be able to go there and just be at the track people remember me as as a guy who does photography and it's been able to really work out there so um just be there, make your show what you can do um, and be willing to try new things, do different things. You mentioned TikTok. There's uh, some really good hockey people who are doing stuff on TikTok that no one else is. Maybe analyze a play on TikTok. You know what? There's no one doing that. That's kind of cool. Um, being able to come up with new ideas and as, as that's easier said than done, but being able to come up with something fresh that no one else is doing is so big. But again, just making sure people remember you is so important. Talk to everyone you can, interview anyone you can, be involved. And you've done a fantastic job with this, by the way. This is this is awesome. Like you're you're, you're going to do a very good job in journalism. So uh, it's 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 a very it's a tough market to break into, especially like living in Toronto. It's it's not easy, but uh, stick with it. Uh, be willing to, to learn other roles. Uh, I, I worked as a, a paginator at Canadian Press, which helps design newspaper pages. And that time it was for, the, for a paper out in Winnipeg. And you know what, that it, it wasn't related to sports, but it was something where I got the experience that really helped. And that really helped with uh, my job search at the Hockey News. So uh, just be willing to work. It's, I know it's thing, but uh, whenever opportunities come, I, I worked for many, many years. I've been a, doing writing for about 10 years and I've been paid for about two and a half of them. So uh, it takes a while, but yeah, it, it, the work you put in will be noticed if you do a good job. Well, I'd like to thank Stephen Ellis for joining me on today's podcast. Thank you again, Stephen. Absolutely. Thank you so much.